The gospel reading for today gives us a picture of what it means to follow Jesus, to be his disciple, to be a Christian. St. Luke records this event as Jesus is journeying to Jerusalem, as it says in the first verse. That is to say, he is making his way to the place of his sacrificial death, with his eyes fixed on the mission of the cross to die for our salvation. And the account describes the reaction of three men as they have the opportunity to follow Jesus along the way. Here's the story of the first man. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, Lord, I will follow you wherever you go. Notice how very confidently this first man speaks, as if to say, Lord, no matter where you go, no matter how you lead, no matter what lies ahead, I will follow. I will always be there for you. I'll stand by your side. This overly eager reaction was obviously without any substantive understanding of what this man was actually getting into if he were to follow Jesus, because the Lord responded with the words to alert him to a stark reality. Jesus said, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. What's Jesus saying here? Well, although I am the very Son of the Almighty God, Jesus says, I have no comfortable place to lay my head in this world. And it may be very well the same for you if you follow me. For my way, Jesus says, leads to suffering. It leads to the cross. It leads to Jerusalem. It's going to cost me my life. And if you follow me, you too are going to suffer. So suffering is kind of the summary of the first. Now the story of the second man. Jesus said to another, follow me. How different this man is from the first. Because the first, though eagerly wanting to follow Jesus, the second responds with no enthusiasm as he tries to seek an immediate excuse. Because he says, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And who could really criticize the man for such a noble task? But our Lord evidently viewed the man as having great difficulty at sorting out his priorities, unable to determine the one who should receive his greatest loyalty, his greatest love. And so Jesus responds to this second man, let the dead bury the dead. As if to say, the best time really to show love and obligation to the dead is when they're actually living and still among you. If there are more important duties to you given at the time of a burial, then there are others who can actually take care of the burial. For your call, as Jesus says, is now to follow me and to go and preach the kingdom of God. That takes priority. This response of Jesus should also remind us of other teachings that he had. For example, Matthew chapter 10, where Jesus said, whoever loves father and mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Because again, in life, when you follow Christ, he takes precedent, he takes priority. The things of the world go to the side as he takes center stage. And finally, the story of the third man. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, 
But let me first go back and say farewell to my family at home. Now again, before we jump into the response that Jesus gives to this third man, keep in mind again, the first man who had that overly zealous reaction, who goes merely on an impulse to what Jesus says, but he has shallow sentimentality, not counting the cost of the cross and the suffering of life. The second man dragged his feet because of personal obligations he felt were more important at the particular time. And now the third man, who really wants to follow Jesus, but first wants to say goodbye to everybody at home. Doesn't sound wrong. But to this third man, Jesus said, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. What does Jesus mean here? Well, the example he gives, you have to remember in the context, back then there were no machines or technology to accurately plow the fields. It was all manual work, all hard, dedicated work by people. So to do a good job with an old type hand plow, you had to plow straight through across the field. And you had to have your hands, both of them, on the plow, and you had to keep your eyes fixed straight ahead, looking around at other things, or worse yet, looking back while you're trying to go forward was not good. It would have a bad result. So essential to success was concentrated attention forward on the task. Dear saints, when following Jesus, our eyes need to be fixed forward on him and on the cross. With concentrated attention, we are to be pinpointed on Jesus and the redemption he has won for us on the cross. That our hands, as they go to the plow daily, as we live through this earthly life, we would be kept from looking backwards. We would be kept from going back to our old sinful ways or the ways that the world has to offer us. Because it's his word that keeps us from falling into the sins of our flesh or worse yet, falling away from our faith as we go through this life. For we have been forgiven through his blood and given his spirit in baptism, and this means that our lives now as his disciples look different. We have a different reality than the unbelieving world because we are his redeemed ones. Our lives must look different. If they don't, we are not living with our eyes fixed on the cross, and we are not abiding in the fruits of the Spirit, as St. Paul gave us in our Galatians reading. And to those realities, both Jesus and St. Paul have some harsh words, as they say the person is not fit to inherit the kingdom of God. But before you despair, rejoice, because thanks be to God that when we fail to remain steadfast to him, he continues to remain steadfast to us. He is ready to receive us back in repentance and forgiveness. For if you look at the three men and their reactions to Jesus' call to discipleship, we can see that each of them displayed a sin in their reaction, a sin that each of us can actually relate to. But it's a sin that each one committed that actually our Lord died for, that Jesus himself replaces with his own righteousness, and that he remains faithful to us, giving us forgiveness and life where we continue to fail. Because all of our shortcomings and our omissions 
Jesus took with him on that journey to Jerusalem and ultimately to that bloody cross where he bore our whole guilt, releasing us from the yoke of slavery and the bondage that our sin held over us so that we might be free. And free not to do the things of our own desires, but free to go forth in the fruits of God in service to him and in service to the neighbor around us. For he was crucified for our sin, freeing us from selfish gain that we would again turn to the neighbor in love. Love is the first fruit of the Spirit that St. Paul gives for us. And it's easy enough for us to just kind of blow past that word love because it means so many things today and it kind of has a vague meaning in modern context. But the love that St. Paul is talking about in the text is none other than the sacrificial love of Jesus. And that's why it's placed first. Because if you understand the sacrificial love of Christ first, then all of the other fruits of the Spirit naturally come forth from them. We must be like those fruits, patient and slow to anger, giving of ourselves, bettering the other person. We should not be like James and John in our gospel reading today, who at a little rejection wanted to call down hell and fire from heaven to destroy the Samaritans who had rejected Jesus, because Jesus rebuked that response, right? He did not uh, go along with it, but he said that was the incorrect response. Because the fact of the matter is that those who reject Jesus in this life will one day receive their due penalty. But it's not for us in this earthly life to make sure that vengeance is gotten on them. Because in this life, the followers of Jesus, you and I as Christians, are to be patient in prayer, eager in service, and even called to suffer for the faith that we proclaim. Sacrificial love means suffering at some point in life. The two are connected. You can't have sacrificial love without some degree of suffering. Remember what Jesus had said in another part of the gospel, a student is not above his master. That is to say, we as the students should not expect anything less to be done to us in this life than they actually did to Jesus while he lived his earthly life. And remember that they rejected him place after place and even killed him. And I think that we're getting a little taste of that right now with all of the anger and the hatred for Christians surrounding the end of nationalized abortion that happened on Friday. The church is being attacked and vilified. Naturally, though, we should ask, what is our response as the church? Do we be like James and John in anger and frustration? And again, remember Jesus' response. It was a rebuke. That's not the way. Our response is to first pray, to have our heads bowed and turned to our Lord, that he would turn the hearts of those who are against him, that he would bring them to repentance so that they too can receive the forgiveness that he has won for them. Remember to let God be the judge in this life. If those in this life who reject him will not repent, again, they will receive their full reward on judgment day with the hell of fire. Now, for us, we are called to suffer and be in prayer. We are called to look to the world, not as our example, but for Christ to be our example, to have his spirit fill us, to exemplify those fruits, 
so that in our ways, as we show forth Christ to the world around us, the world would change to be like Christ too. And in this, we are living the way of Jesus. We are living what it means to be one of his redeemed, to be one who is filled with his spirit that we received in baptism and living out the spirit's fruits. Follow in the way of Jesus, dear friends, is not easy, but it's what we're called to do. And thanks be to God that we are not left alone to do it ourselves. He gives us his spirit who delivers Christ's forgiveness to us over and over when we fail to keep up and to keep firm in our faith. And we pray to him always, always in times of blessing and peace, but also in times of our own suffering and our own times of temptation. We need to be in his word, nourished in our faith, that will continually remind us of the realities of who we are now as his redeemed ones. We need to keep our eyes fixed on the cross. For in the cross is freedom from sin and freedom to serve the neighbor, to serve our family and our friends, to serve the church in the true and genuine love that has first been shown to us in Christ Jesus. In his most holy name, amen. And now may the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus to life everlasting. Amen.